name. Call on his name. Stay there during this scripture reading. We're going to talk today about mistaken identity. Rising above your past. I told them at the end of practice this morning, I said this last song just is so important into this message. There's nothing so dirty that you can't make it worthy. You washed me with mercy. And I am clean. I am clean. Y'all know I don't do this kind of stuff a lot, but I, I need you to say that one with me. The important word there is am. It is a statement of present condition. It is the right now. It's not, I will be clean, or at some point I will be clean. It is a statement of the now. So I want you to say that with me. I am clean. One more time. I am clean. Amen. We're going to read through a portion here of Acts Chapter 22, verses 1 through 21. Here's what it says. Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense before you. When they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even quieter. He continued, I am a Jewish man born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel and educated according to the strict view of our patriarchal law being zealous for God just as all of you are today. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and putting both men and women in jail, as both the high priest and the whole council of elders can testify about me. After I received letters from them to the brothers, I traveled to Damascus to bring those who were prisoners there to be punished in Jerusalem. As I was traveling and near Damascus about noon, an intense light from heaven suddenly flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I answered, who are you, Lord? He said to me, I am Jesus the Nazarene, the one you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but they did not hear the voice of the one who was speaking to me. Then I said, what should I do, Lord? And the Lord told me, get up and go into Damascus, and there you will be told about everything that is assigned for you to do. Since I couldn't see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. Someone named Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good reputation with all the Jews residing there, came and stood by me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And in that very hour, I looked up and saw him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will, 
to see the righteous one and to hear the sound of his voice. For you will be a witness for him to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now why delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins by calling on his name. After I came back to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple complex, I went into a visionary state and saw him telling me, Hurry and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. But I said, Lord, they know that in synagogue after synagogue, I had those who believed in you imprisoned and beaten. And when the blood of your witness Stephen was being shed, I was standing by and approving. And I guarded the clothes of those who killed him. Then he said to me, go, because I will send you far away to the Gentiles. I want to share with you out of Philippians chapter 3. If anyone thinks that he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, this is the same writer, Saul, who we also know as Paul. If anyone thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was a gain for me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of Him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth so that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. And having a righteousness of my own from the law, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for Your promises. And I thank You for who You are. I thank you that you have called us out. You have called us to be removed from where we once were. Though we were once struggling and floundering and drowning even in the debt of sin that you have called us. You reached down your hand in the form of your son Jesus Christ. And you made a bridge through the way of the cross to cross that great gap that existed between mankind and you, God the Father. Your Son, Jesus, laid down on that cross and became the bridge over which we are able to reconnect back to you. You reach down, all we must do is reach up to you and receive this great gift. Father, I pray that you will help us then to realize that we have a different identity. And we need to rise above the past. Father, I pray today that you allow your word to be clear. Father, don't let me get in the way. 
but let your word be the thing that shines forth, that changes our hearts, that impacts our lives so that we can walk out of here with a different and a renewed focus on who we are. We pray and believe these things in the name of your Son and our strong Savior, Jesus Christ. And the church together said, Amen. Amen. Friday night, I, I sat on a plane uh, in Dayton, Ohio, headed to Detroit, Michigan. Big D. I had a conversation with a man who was sitting in the seat next to me. He was probably a little older than I am, not much. He shared with me, you know, when you're on the plane going up um, on Wednesday, it wasn't nearly as bad because uh, the plane was a little larger, and, but we were sitting in this much smaller plane coming back. And, uh, man, it was, you know, you get to know the people that sit next to you. <laughs> you get to know them in ways you wouldn't like to not know them. All right. You know, it's just up close and personal, and, and you're hoping that they are kind so that they will try to share. I always ask for an aisle seat because uh, I prefer to not be sandwiched in because at least in the aisle, I can kind of lay out in the aisle as long as the stewardess is not coming by with the little cart because if you ever get hit with a cart, it's not fun. It's dark sometimes, you know, when they're bringing that cart along. I had some dark clothes on. So, but anyway, I didn't get hit this time. But we were sitting there, and, and, um, and the conversation struck up. I don't always talk to everybody on the plane. I, I had my headphones on um, on the flight up there because there was a, a child that was there that felt the need to sing the song of her people. And, <laughs> and so all the way on this flight, she sang the song of her people. And I don't think that anybody on the plane was her people. Not at least by the time the flight was over. And, uh, and, and I just felt bad for the mom, but I, I had gotten some, uh, some Bose Q35 headphones that have the active sound canceling. And so as she began to operatically sing the song of her people, you know, which is the little people, you know, because it was just the wide open, enclosed space. And so I had one of those moments where you thank Jesus for the little things. I reached up, I turned on my headphones, and the active noise canceling kicked in, and it went silent. And I just had a moment. I said, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I turned on my Spotify, and I promptly went to sleep. After which I'm sure that I joined in the song of her people with the song of the snoring people. <laughs> but everyone else should have had headphones if they, you know... And so I slept uh, from Birmingham to Atlanta on the first flight. I slept from Atlanta to Dayton. And then I decided I didn't have to put my headphones on first. And so I had this conversation with this guy then Friday night, leaving from Dayton to fly to Detroit and then Detroit back to Birmingham. God always has a plan with stuff. He's just, you know, working things out to, uh, to lead toward a, uh, a message or an illustration or something. And this young man shared with me, I, I said, hey, where are you from? Because I didn't really detect much of an accent just in the, the just couple words we'd spoken to each other. And, and he says, well, originally I am from Amsterdam, Holland. And I said, hey, flown into the Amsterdam airport one time on the way to Uganda. 
And he said, well, but I moved to America many years ago, you know, when I was very young, ended up uh, meeting his wife here. He stayed, and then he made a quick statement. He looked me dead in the face, and he said, but I'm an American now. He said, I did that. He and his wife and their two sons, they had two sons, one that's 15 and one that's 10. They've lived in several places in America. I'd ask him, you know, well, well, where are you going? He said, well, I'm going back home. I live in Detroit, and my family's there. And he said, I haven't seen him in three weeks. And he said, I just got a new job. I'm working for a startup automotive company that's doing some work for Tesla. And, uh, and, and uh, he said, so I, I've gotten this job in Boston. And he said, they're not moving yet. He said, I'm going to do this four more times, three weeks at a, at a time, 12 weeks. It's a, a three-month. And he said, then they'll move. I said, how's that going, you know, with a 15-year-old and a 10-year-old? And he said, oh. He said, man, my 15-year-old is upset. He's playing football. Then I knew he was American right then. I knew because he did not say he is playing, you know, your football. You know, because soccer and the rest of the world, you know, is football. So he said, but he's playing football. So he's really upset that we're moving. He said, our, our youngest son was born. He said, I worked for Fiat for uh, about seven years, and we lived in Italy. And he said, but we're going we're gonna to move to Boston. But he said, man, I am so excited. He said, I've never gone this long and not seen my family. And he said, I'm just so excited. He said, the first week it was okay. You know, it was really busy. The second week I'm starting to get the hang of some things. I'm going, okay, you know, I'm not used to. He said, this past week has just been terrible. He said, I've been so ready to go home and see my family. As we talked, it just it stuck in my mind how succinctly he communicated that he was originally from Holland, but how quickly he wanted to communicate to me, I'm an American now. His recounting of his personal story reminded me of Paul telling his own story. This guy did not deny his heritage. You know, he was from, from Holland. He, he didn't deny any of that. It, in fact, it was part of his identity, but it wasn't the defining element of who he is today. He, he didn't say, I'm Dutch. He didn't say any of those things. He just said, you know, hey, I'm originally from Holland, but then I came here, I stayed, I met my wife, but I'm an American now. Earlier in the week, on Tuesday night, Michelle and I sat in a room in Hoover with about, about 30 other people. We were listening to a group of trainees who were giving speeches and presentations during their last class of Dale Carnegie training. And uh, it's an eight-week class. They, they go at night. We had two guys from our company that were there. I was really proud of them. One of our guys won the Highest Achievement Award, and, uh, and then he looked to the back of the room, and he said, now, I'm not saying right now, but I want your job. I want to be the next operations manager at PSI. And I said, not this week. <laughs> <laughs> we were listening to these guys, and the trainer repeatedly was encouraging the presenters to speak in the positive and in the present. All right? And, for example, a presenter could not say, I will be a strong leader and a good communicator. But rather, the trainer would correct them to say, I am a strong leader and a good communicator. Now, the reality was, and he kind of explained because we had all these visitors there to watch the graduation. I didn't know. 
All right, now I was flying out on Wednesday and wasn't going to land in, in Ohio until almost midnight. And so I got Michelle to go with me. I thought we were just going for a graduation ceremony. I thought we were going to show up. There's going to be like some grapes and cheese and some bottled water. And we're going to do, you know, this graduation thing. We're going to be home. I had not packed yet. I didn't know that it was going to be a four-hour event. So I now owe Michelle, I think, a really good steak dinner and probably some flowers and all this because not only did we not get home till about 11-something that night, but then I flew out the next afternoon, and I've been gone until, you know, 11 o'clock Friday night. We're... Uh, we're sitting there, and I'm listening to this, and, I, and the trainer was a really positive guy. He wasn't over-the-top positive, because that would have driven me nuts. Now, I'm just telling you. But, but he was very positive. He was very encouraging, and, and he explained for all the guests that were there, he said, I want you to understand why that I keep correcting, because I, I guarantee you he had to correct maybe everybody except one or two, and they would catch themselves right before he was about to correct them because they would state their personal vision statement or whatever, and that was normally it. They would, based on some things they wanted to work on in their life, they would stand up and say, I, I am a, a, a respected leader who engages with my people, who communicates well and gets results for all my team members. And, and at first, I'll just admit, you know, I was thinking... Man, this sounds like an AA meeting or something. You know, everybody's standing up, you know, hi, my name is, and, and this is what I'm going to. And the more I kept, I kept listening to, to them, I was thinking, man, this is good. This is good. It might, I can guarantee you, in talking to our guys, when they first started doing this, they were like, man, this is the craziest thing. I'm standing up doing all this positive statement about myself. I am a good follower of Christ who does what his word says. Oh, okay, it wasn't church stuff, was it? Sorry, I slipped that one in on you. But they were speaking something to be because that was the goal of what it was. It wasn't that, well, I'm not there. I'm not that. But it was a, a positive statement. And as I, I listened to that, and then I listened to this, this man from Holland who said, but I'm an American now, as I was piecing all that together with Paul then writing there in Acts 22, the, 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 the story of his conversion, these events kind of came together in my mind and synthesized into this idea of we cannot identify ourselves as our past, but rather as the reality of who God has made us to be in the present. Now, I have mentioned this in in passing and, and in some fleeting comments over the last several weeks, maybe even the last couple of months, but God just put it on my heart for that to be the message today of not identifying ourselves as the past, but rather as the reality of who God has made us to be in the present. But does that mean that we're supposed to ignore or attempt to hide our history? You know, of who we are, of of the past things that we've individually done, what our, what our family history was or anything. Does it mean we're supposed to hide that or we're supposed to act like it never happened? Paul makes it clear that he did not attempt to ignore or to hide his personal history. In fact, Paul often used the comparison of his past with the reality of his present. And there are three different areas of description that I want us to think about that Paul pointed out in his communication with the people here in Acts chapter 22. The one was 
He stated the reality of his family history. Even over here in Philippians, he says, here's how I was born. Here's the family that I grew up in. Here's how I was educated. Here is all of this stuff that is my family history. But then he stated the reality of his spiritual history. He stated, here's how I I was in the church, even to the point that I was a zealot who took and persecuted people who really turned out to be the true church. But the third aspect that he focused on was the reality of his spiritual conversion, of what happened when he came to know Christ. The, The irony of Paul's reflection is he didn't dwell on or currently identify himself regarding either of the first two. He didn't dwell on or identify himself based on his family history. He didn't dwell on or identify himself based on his spiritual history. Instead, Paul's conversion became the pivot point in his life. That moment, that moment was a defining moment that created a new path, that created a new future, that created a new identity in Christ. Paul embraced the fact that his conversion was put in perspective by contrast and comparison with his past. That's why he would talk about the past was not to to get back into it, was not to beat himself up about it, but was to draw the stark contrast of this is who I used to be, but this is who I am now. Now think about it. We like to see these things when, when someone has something that they're trying to promote. Jerry's been doing it here lately, all right? Since she's not in here, I can talk about her. Um, and don't you go back there and tell her either, Terry. All right. Um, you know, she, she's selling some product. And, and, uh, and so she'll take, and I've already seen it. I've already seen some pictures where a before and after, right? Isn't that what people do? They'll take and they'll say, um, they're trying to sell you some stuff that you can clean off the haze from your headlights on your car. And they'll show a before and they'll show an after. Now, are they trying to get you to go be the before? No. In fact, the only purpose that the before serves is to make it apparent the difference that's happened when some event occurs. You'll see somebody say, you know, hey, here was, here was our house before and after. They do some renovation. You'll see someone take and, and they go on weight loss. They'll show before and after. They get their hair cut. Y'all know, ladies, they'll take some picture. It's before and then after. And oh, thank you to their hairdresser. That was the, that was the best imitation I had, y'all. We're always trying to show that we don't want to go back to the old. You know, if, you, if your car's been in an accident, it's all banged up. You know, you'll take a before picture, you take it to the body shop, they get done, they do a new paint job on it, comes out, so, oh, here was before, here's after. The past is only there to help us remember and understand how far we've come what the greatness of the change is. And it draws attention to the event that created the change. If, I mean, one of the first things that happens is if, if you put a picture on, online and you showed that car that's before and after, one of the first things that many people will do is they'll send and say, what body shop did you use? If they, you put a before and after picture of weight loss, they'll send and say, what did you do 
to get there. If you put a picture and they really like your haircut and you did a before and after, which salon did you go to? See, it draws attention to the event that created the change. And I wonder sometimes if we don't struggle with just dwelling in our past instead of using the past to point out the comparison or that people will say, what is it that caused the change? Because if we will demonstrate as Paul did where he said, hey, here's who I was. You guys know who I was. In fact, he says there are the high priest and the others here could testify of the fact that I persecuted the church to the point of killing people and imprisoning both men and women. And if he had stopped right there and if he had just said, but I'm different now. And people go, oh, I've heard about this guy. In fact, when Paul actually was converted, he even talks about it. He says, they're not going to receive what I'm saying because they're going to say, this is the same guy that used to be persecuting us. But can you imagine just a little bit later when they see consistency in Paul's life for people to say, what happened? What caused there to be an after in contrast to the before? And then Paul would have the opportunity to say, I was on the road to Damascus. I was headed to go and do what I'd always done. I, I was going in the same way I'd always gone to do the same things I'd always done to the same kind of folks that I'd always been going after. I had the same thoughts that I'd always had. It was a, just another ordinary day, just like any other day, but then something happened. I saw this great light. It blinded me. I fell off the animal that I was on. Everybody that was with me, they could see the light, but they didn't hear this voice. And this voice started speaking to me. And this voice said to me, why are you persecuting me? And I knew I'd been blinded. I'm hearing a voice. I just spoke to the voice because I couldn't see. And I said, who are you? And the voice says to me, he says, I am Jesus of Nazareth, the one that you're persecuting. And he said, I responded and I said, well, Lord, what would you have me do? And he says, you need to get up and you need to go. And here's a, there's his conversion story. See, the before and the after created a question about the event. Remember as a kid, when you would hear the story about the little train that could, what, what was the line? What was the line to the little train it could said? I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. You know, y'all know. Come on now. When you, if, you, if you've had kids, and y'all teenagers that you haven't had kids yet, you can laugh all you want to because when you have kids, you're going to look just as foolish as we did because you're going to read that story to them kids and you'll be going, I think I can. I think I can. I think I You're going to do the motions. I'm telling you. Right, parents? Right? You're going, I think I can. It's like the running man, just no running. I think I can. I think I can. And then you're going to get louder, you know. And then when he goes, I think I can. I think I can. And he's, oh. What's the moral of that story? The moral of that story was about the impact of your thinking on the results of your actions. We've been trying to teach this since, we, since people were little kids. We've been trying to promote this idea. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. We just turned around and come years later and come up with this story about this little train. And we tried to teach our kids, if you think you can, then you've got a good shot at being able to do something. But if you're going to come out the gate saying, I can't do it. Well, there, there's, there's an old quote. Um, 
and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher this a little bit, but it says, whether you think you can or whether you think you can't, you are right. Because if you think you can't do something, what happens? You don't put a whole effort into it because you're thinking, I can't do this anyway, so there's no sense in trying really hard because I'm not going to... Why put all that effort out if, if I'm not going to be able to do this? But someone who thinks they can do something, they're the person that you tell them they can't jump over that, that little high bar right there, and they'll run and jump and knock the, knock the bar off. And they go, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I've seen kids this way. I've seen kids both ways. But I've seen kids that well, they'll hang on, hang on, and they'll, they'll go to put the bar back up. I can do it. We're out here shooting basketball some. You'll have some little old kid. I mean, little old kid will come up. He'll be trying to shoot a three. I mean, not even getting it to the rim. Hold on, hold on, let me shoot again. I can do it. Caleb and I were outside last night. We were throwing frisbee for a while. This is after I weed-eated here, and then went home and weed-eated mowed grass at the house. Man, it was rough, I'm telling you. I mean, I was, it was hot. So we were out there playing basketball, and I was the same way, you know, because now I take pride in being able to hit some shots. And so, man, at first, I was, everything was short, and I was tired. I was tired. And I'm like, no, 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 give, give, give it back, give it back, you know, because we'll, hey, shoot till you miss type of thing, you know. No, 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 give it back because I can't, I, can't I can do this. I can do this. Look, it's all about our ability to identify who we think we are. The reality is that sometimes when we don't try, we don't achieve, and then we look and go, see, see what happened in my life? Nothing good ever happens. Well, you don't ever try anything good either. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest because... For whatever reasons, whether it's because of what people have communicated to you, of what people have told you, hey, your family background, hey, the, where you've come from, hey, the school you graduated from, whatever else, you can't, the, any physical limitation, whatever it is, you won't be able to do, and so you're convinced that it's there, and so you don't try, and you don't make an effort, and that spills over into our spiritual lives. We start to think, I'm not that valuable. God really can't care about me that much. I, yeah, I believe that he saved me, but I don't, I don't really believe that it, it, would, it was truly a one-on-one -on -one thing. I just happened to be one of people. And we don't really express it that way, but sometimes that's how we re respond to things. We respond to things as if God doesn't truly and deeply love us as an individual because we don't identify ourselves as being someone that God would love. Now, here's the truth. The truth is, and, and some of you have heard me say this before, I just am going to constantly remind us of this. If you are concerned that you are not lovable for God to love you, then let's just go ahead and I want to just help you with that thought. You are 100% correct. You go, wait a minute. Now that's not very encouraging, Pastor. Here's the reality in and of ourselves, compared to a holy God, yeah, we're not, we're not such that, that God would look at us with the sin that's in our lives. But here's an amazing thing. God has chosen to love us. And so therefore, no matter how bad we've been, no matter what has been in our lives, because of the fact that He chooses to turn His affection toward us, 
then it is nothing to do with our family history, how good we've been, where we've, where we've gone, what we're going to do. None of that matters. That is an absolute amazing relief that should be out there so that people will understand, look, you're right. It's not about how good you are and God loving you because God has chosen to love you in spite of everything. It is who he is that he chooses to set his affection on us regardless of where we've been and what we've done. David, King David in the Old Testament, a man who could go up on a rooftop and see another man's wife taking a bath on another roof, decide that he wanted to take her for himself, set her husband up eventually after he he ends up having an inappropriate relationship with Bathsheba. She gets pregnant. He takes and, and tries to get her husband to work this situation out where it looks like maybe he's the one that, that got her pregnant. Ends up having him killed. Right? We, 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 know, we know, most of us know the basic story. And, and then the child ends up passing. But God later describes David as a man after God's own heart. How can that be? Because when, when David was confronted with the sin, he repented and he turned to God. All throughout the Old Testament, we see people that made mistakes. We see people... I mean, that's all the way to the point of having somebody murdered. I mean, we really don't see it to find out. We don't see whether Bathsheba was any kind of willing participant or not, but there may even be rape and murder that was involved in this. And there was definitely then lying and trying to hide and cover up and yet this man repents and turns to God and he ends up being described as a man after God's own heart. How can that be? Because God's already knowing that we're not going to be perfect. God already knows that we're going to face challenges and sometimes we're going to fail miserably. And yet he has set his affection and his love upon us and when we turn back to him and we repent, then he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. There are people who will say to themselves, I can't witness to people who are better off than I am. How can I witness to somebody who's got a lot more money than I have? I don't know, maybe because of the fact that the riches of heaven are invested into you. Because everything, heaven and earth, will pass away. All that is here cannot go with us. But yet you have the greatest wealth of anything in all of creation that you have the living God has become the Lord and Savior of your life and is going to have you spend eternity with Him. And this person may have the greatest riches in the entire world in this life. But yet when they pass from this life, if they don't know Christ, they will be a, a penniless pauper in an eternity in hell. See, it's about identity. See, we're focused on the wrong identity. We've got a mistaken identity complex because we're looking at the here and now and not understanding the greatness of what God has done for us. There are people that say, I can't talk about living a pure life when before I came to Christ it was all about sex and drugs and partying. And Why not? Sometimes I think we just, we just fail to actually ask each other some hard questions. I can't do that. Why not? Well, because I just can't. Why not? I mean, who's going to listen to me? Oh, I don't know. Do you ask a... a, a <laughs> don't anybody get offended. Do you ask a fat person how to lose weight? <laughs> 
<laughs> See, nobody wants to even laugh at this. I can say this because I'm still working on losing weight. I mean, I don't go up and ask somebody, you know, hey, how do you lose weight? I mean, I'm going to ask somebody where I've seen the before and after, right? Do you ask a bald person how to grow hair? See, I'm going to get y'all. Y'all going to loosen up on this here in a minute. <laughs> I mean, honestly, do you ask? <laughs> i got to be careful. <laughs> do you ask somebody that burns the biscuits how to cook? I mean, really? Do you ask somebody that's been divorced five times? How, how, you know, how do you go about having a good marriage? <laughs> I mean, come on. So, yeah, here's what not to do. I can't tell you what works, but I can definitely tell you what doesn't. <laughs> but look, when it comes to spiritual things, I can go tell someone who's a drug addict, I can go tell them all day, God will set you free. And it's true, and I need to share that, and I need to communicate that. But what about when someone comes alongside them that says, hey, I was, I was a drug addict for 20 years, and but God set me free. What about Josh and Amanda have a, have a friend in, in Hawaii that, that was, I mean, has an amazing testimony, if you, really the end of it, he was a gang enforcer and, and, uh, and ended up in prison for a long time because of going too far in enforcing and trying to make an example of somebody. But now, God changed his life and he's serving God openly and passionately. And so, who can impact people that are in the gangs that he was a part of more than what he can because he can go in and Josh has told me how that he will say, you know what I was. That's what Paul was saying, guys. He says, look, you guys know what I was. You know how I was raised. You know the education I had. But you also know that I was persecuting the people of God, the true people of God. I was killing people. I was imprisoning people. And if that's where the story stopped, that would not be a good testimony. You know who I was. But yet he turns around in Philippians and he says, but here's who I am. And all of the things that I had gained through what I was doing, I count them as loss in order to know Christ. I've had people say to me, even within the last year, I've had people say, well, but what are you going to tell people in a community if you go and tell a drug dealer who's making a lot of money by what he's doing and tell him, well, you got to give all that up in order to come to Christ. And now what are you going to do? Paul says, I counted all the things that I had gained as loss. See, I think somehow we have gotten over into this mistaken identity of that everybody that's a Christian, we're just supposed to have all kind of money and we're supposed to have all kind of stuff going on and all this. And that would be great if that was the case. That's not the case most of the places around the world. If we can get off of looking at America and go around the rest of the world and deal with that, then we would realize that we just have a very narrow focused view. There are people all around the world who have been in prison for 20, 30 years for just preaching the gospel had their families taken away from them, their possessions taken away. And if you ask them, they would say they would do it all over again. Just as Paul did because they say, for the, for the surpassing knowledge 
of Jesus Christ. I remember when I was a kid, we would go to uh, our, the denomination that we were a part of, the General Assembly that happened every two years. And, and um, I remember the, one of the first times that I ever saw it, it seemed so huge because you'd be in like the Georgia Dome. And, and there'd be, you know, 20,000 people there. It's a lot smaller nowadays. But there, I mean, it would be packed out, people from all over the world. And back then, you didn't have the Internet. Sorry, guys, you know, for those of y'all that are younger. We didn't have the Internet. We were going to the shelf. We owned a set of Encyclopedia Britannica. They were old, but we owned them. So that meant they weren't accurate. You know, or let me say, they weren't up to date. They were accurate to what they had, but they weren't up to date you know, and you could read stuff about the latest computer and it had punch cards and stuff that you were putting into it, right? We thought that was awesome. But you didn't know about other countries. We didn't have a TV till I was 14 years old. So we weren't sitting watching TV and you didn't see all this stuff. And it wasn't, you know, that was back in the days of the wide, wide world of sports, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. And you, don't, you only had a handful of channels. Now, I'm not old enough to be able to say I saw it when it was black and white and all that. But, but hey, close enough. I would, we would go to these general assemblies and you'd see people from all over the world and from these other countries and they would be in their native dress. And it was like the most astounding thing I'd ever seen. See, we don't even think about this stuff today because we just pull something up on the internet, look at a picture. You know, we couldn't look at National Geographic back then because, you know, it had some stuff in it you weren't supposed to see. You know, there's people in some other countries, you know, they ain't wearing tops and they ain't wearing bottoms and some stuff like that. You know, and kids, you weren't supposed to see that stuff. So I didn't see any of that. And all of a sudden, you're in this event, and it's church people, and they don't speak English. But all you know is, we're all here for the same purpose, for the same reason. People from all over the world, from Latin America, from Africa, from, from all these other continents and, and other places. And, and I remember, it was right about the time, I think, that, um, I can't remember which part of the world they were from, but it was, it was from one of the countries where you had a lot of communist influence. And they'd finally gotten the opportunity to come out from being underground churches, churches that couldn't be known publicly. And, and they're, they're using a translator, and we're sitting way up in, the, in this, in this uh, you know, kind of like a Georgia Dome type of thing. And, and so you can see from a distance, and they got them on the big screens. And, and I remember as they stood up and the translator was sharing the story of one of these gentlemen. And the story was about how that this guy had spent some 20 some odd years in prison because of preaching the gospel. But he had been released now and his church had grown to like 20,000 people. I mean, it was some massive underground thing. And he said, but now we are, we are joyful for we can join together. With you, our brothers and sisters, in the body of Christ. And so we ask to join this denomination. Man, who is it that can walk up to someone and, and have the, the most positive impact out of their witness to be able to say, let me tell you about what God has done in my life. It's, it's people who have something in common. Now, does that mean that, that we can't witness or share the gospel with people that don't have something exactly like us? Absolutely not. That's not the point at all. But the point is that sometimes we, we waffle between where we should be. We either get mired into our past 
and are bogged down by that and don't allow God to use us because we're hung up about our past or else we get over on the other side and we don't want anybody to know about our past because we want them to think of us the way we are now. We don't even want to talk about there. But in the process of doing that, we remove that question about what happened. See, when people just meet us and all they know about us is the now, and we don't allow the contrast, the comparison of I once was this, but now, we don't ever get the question. Galatians chapter 6, verses 14 and 15 says this, But God forbid that I should boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. In other words, what he's saying is, is religious tradition and background or no religious tradition and background, that stuff doesn't matter. All that matters is that you are a new creation in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him thus no longer. Therefore... If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Another reality is that we sometimes simply won't listen. Sometimes we simply won't listen to God telling us who we are. Sometimes we just won't listen to God telling us what we're supposed to do with our lives. We spiritually nod our heads. Indicating that we're comprehending when we're really not. And then we just go back and do the same old things from before. I've heard Stephen share this before. And you know, you hear about people that they'll go to an altar, whether it's in their home or wherever, they'll go to pray and they'll tell God, I want you to take this thing from me. God, I want you to take control of my past. God, I want you to and then when they and they say, I'm gonna lay it right here on the altar. Figuratively, I'm gonna lay it here on the altar. And then when they get up, to walk away, it's like, oh, hang on, hang on, I left something. <laughs> and they go back and they pick it up again and they walk away with it because they self-identify to that instead of allowing that to simply point toward here's the moment when my life changed. I had to pass through airport security a couple times this week. I had to show two things. I had to show my ticket and I had to show my personal ID. I thought about how that applied to this message. In life, we're often given the opportunity to explain our destination and proclaim our identity. There are people that are they're, they're, they're hesitant about allowing us into their life. They're hesitant about allowing us into their environment. And what they want to know is, they want to know about our destination and they want to know about our identity and we have that opportunity and so the question is which identity are you using today are you still pointing back to the old thing that this is who I am because that's what I always was or do you joyfully proclaim your identity as a new creation don't be a case of mistaken identity 
Don't be a case of, of letting yourself mistakenly identify as what you used to be. See, here's, here's the difficulty because we, we, we're trying to find that balance. Okay, Pastor, how do, I, how do I willingly address who I was without getting mired down in who I was? It's because you keep your eyes on the person who brought you out of who you were. Remember who you are. Let that be the forefront of your thoughts in the here and now is I am redeemed. I am clean. Because there's nothing too dirty that you can't make worthy. You washed me in mercy and I am clean. I may have used to be dirty. I may have used to be involved in these things. And so I can understand what someone maybe is going through. I can identify at a certain level with what you're experiencing because I did some of those things. And some of you can identify with people and say, yes, I did some of those things. But yet, there is none of those things that were too far that he could not wash me with mercy. And today, say it with me, I am clean.